Welcome to Health Rants. Join us and learn how not to let healthcare rip you off or kill you. Together, we will explore the secrets of healthcare and give you insight on how to make a better and informed decision about your health and your healthcare. I'm Dr. Bob Braille. I'm a chiropractor for over 40 years, and I've seen it and heard it all. So welcome to our podcast, Health Rants. Hi, and welcome to Health Rants. This is Dr. Bobby Braille. Today's episode, I wanted to speak a little bit about something that I've noticed over the years. Uh, you know, I've been in healthcare quite a few years, and just even as a consumer, I've noticed some things. If you look at uh, what sparked this, is if you look at television commercials, you'll notice something, especially if, been, if you're around as long as I have been, you'll notice something's different on the television commercials. You know, most commercials on television are actually drug commercials. I mean, that's just the nature of the animal at this point. Uh, years and years ago, cigarettes were the big uh, TV thing until they banned those. And now drug commercials have taken over. And especially if you watch a news show uh, or if you watch a news channel, the drug commercials are relentless, constant, over and over again. And many times you say, how many times do I have to hear this thing? You know, this one particular drug commercial, uh, because they just keep doing it over and over again. And uh, it's they're selling a product, obviously, so they're going to use whatever market they feel is the most effective to sell their product. But there has been a shift over the years in something. Uh, years ago, probably before most of you can recall, if there was a drug commercial on television, it was usually an over-the-counter drug. Now they're doing prescriptions, obviously, but it was usually an over-the-counter. And the focus was if you develop a certain problem, take this to get rid of the problem. You know, your aspirin, your Tylenol, and the things that came before that, you know. Uh, and it was for that occasional thing, or if you have this flare-up, take this. A typical drug commercial. Now they've kind of morphed. That's not what you see on television. Now what you see on television is a commercial. If you have this condition, take this medication. The implied part of that that you're not catching compared to the earlier ones is a word they don't say, but imply. The word is forever. In other words, if you have this condition, you have no chance of getting rid of it, so take our drug forever. See, there's been a shift in, in the advertisements of drugs that I've noticed that kind of are trying to train, and, and part of it is business, certainly, but train the public that you can never get rid of the healthcare problems you have. The best you can do is manage it with our medications. Now, it's unique to the United States because in the United States, in one of the country, they can advertise prescription drugs. That's not available everywhere else. And if anyone doesn't know, the United States takes more, the people of the United States, we represent 4 to 5% of the population, and we take more than half of the world's prescription drugs. And as everyone who's listening probably knows, the United States is far from the healthiest nation. In fact, we're one of the worst of the industrialized nations on every metric regarding health. So we're unhealthy and we're taking way more medications. So I wonder if there's a connection there. But that's kind of uh, not my entire focus here because 
what we're hearing more and more on the television commercials is the idea for getting people on a medication that they take forever. I call it subscription sickness. Uh, being sick and then having to subscribe to a medication that you take forever. You know, let's look for a second at subscriptions themselves and the ongoing uh, sense of spending money on a regular basis on something. You know, if you go back into historical times, you know, the Romans, the Greeks, there really were only, as far as I'm aware of, two major subscriptions that people were into on a regular basis where they would have to shell out money. One, the obvious one, which is still around today, of course. Well, both of them are still around. The first obvious one was taxes. You know, if you were in an organized society, the Romans, the Greeks, or anybody after that, you paid taxes. And that's so that you could have a road, that's so you could have defense, that's so you could have all the things that only a society could offer you that you couldn't have on an individual basis. So taxes were really the very first of the subscription services. But Right behind that, or, or maybe even at the same time, was tithing, religious taxes. And, and by that I mean giving money to church, giving money to temples, giving money to your religious entity. And in many cases in the early day, they were, they and the government were one of the same. But uh, the idea of you regularly donating and giving money to a uh, your faith, your belief system, uh, was way, way back. I mean, that goes back millennia. So the idea of giving a, a tithe and paying your taxes are two regular subscriptions that people are used to. After that, there's a big gap between that and when, you know, the regular spending of money became something that you had to do. I mean, obviously, in all of mankind's history, you had to buy supplies. You had to buy food. If you were a farmer, you had to buy grain. You had to buy things for transportation. If you had a horse, you had to buy whatever was necessary to feed it and all the tack necessary to drive one. But, you know, there weren't a whole lot of other subscriptions. You bought supplies. You bought, I want a wagon. I buy a wagon. You know, you want something. You buy something. Uh, you bought a product for the most part. You paid your taxes, that was your subscription, and you paid, if you were tithing to a church or whatever, you paid that. Probably around the late 1800s, uh, some of the things started to occur where you paid for other things on a regular basis, and you can call them subscriptions, but probably one of the first ones was insurance companies. The idea of paying for insurance to prevent something from happening bad. And, and first that was just industry, but then it became individuals. The other one, which is not forever, but kind of is forever, were bank loans. You wanted to go buy a farm, you went and got a mortgage. So the idea of you didn't have to have the cash for it, you just paid for something what you could pay for. And that's obviously rampant today, a housing, a, a everything you buy, cars, you know, everybody... Almost everybody does it by buying, you know, uh, time over time. So banks became the next big subscription. There was insurance and there was banks. Now, obviously, there was one more, and actually this one may even predate some of the other ones, the protection rackets. You know, the idea of paying for protection so that bad things don't happen to your business or your home. Well, that, that goes back all the way into Roman days as well, as do some of the banks. Uh, I don't know about the insurances necessarily. But so these were like the first of the I have to pay something on a regular basis. 
Later on came the more comp the, the more common ones. Probably the first big one was the phone company. Uh, and back in the day, back when I was a child, you only had one phone company. I mean, whatever the phone service was in your area, that was it. There obviously were no mobile phones. In fact, in your house, you had one phone usually corded to the wall and a nice long cord allowed you to kind of sneak around the corner, go into the next room or whatever. Uh, later on, more phones in a house. But that was the one company. In fact, you didn't even own those phones. You rented them. You had a subscription, basically, to rent the one thing you had in your house where you could communicate with other people. Television at that time wasn't. You bought a television set, you bought the product. You didn't subscribe to anything. You put it in your house, you threw up an antenna, and you got free services over the airwaves, radio waves. Same thing with a radio from the early days in the 40s and on. You got to listen to shows on the radio free. Now, how they got paid for was obviously the advertisements when they tried to sell you back then cigarettes and some other types of over-the-counter drugs, no prescription drugs back then. Well, we move forward and we get into the subscription services of television because, you know, you could probably put up a, an antenna, but I don't think there's anybody broadcast anymore. So what could have been, and certainly they could have used the airwaves to do all the TV you're watching now. But no, because there was a, a more profitable way to do it, cable. So you wound up with Comcast and you know, AT&T and the other big companies that have cable television and then could offer you many more channels and you had your big subscription. And now think about something that most families didn't pay for uh, several decades ago, and now it's a major bill in their house. In fact, in many cases, it's higher than the electric bill. Electricity was probably one of the earliest subscriptions of a house because once houses got electricity, you had to pay the electricity company on a regular basis. No way you could buy it in one shot. There wasn't things like, uh, you know, a solar energy to put up on your house, although that's becoming a little more popular now, but you still had to be hooked into the grid. And in the television world, then there became all the subscription services, your Netflix, which is a huge monster right now. And that was competing with your basic, you know, movie theaters, your AMC. And AMC feeling, I mean, yeah, it's slightly different going to a movie theater than sitting at home and putting on Netflix. Even if you have a wonderful TV and stereo system, it is different. Um, but... AMC and, and the other movie companies feeling the idea of the pressure of people subscribing and not going to the theaters. And this is all pre-pandemic, obviously, because now that the theaters are just announcing their reopening coming in the next weeks or so. But uh, to, to offset that, the movie theaters said, hey, subscription's a great thing. They started selling subscription services. And uh, like my wife and I subscribed to the AMC theater service so we could go multiple times a week and we pay a, week, a monthly fee and we can go to the movies as often as we want uh, with a limit of, I think, three a week. Like who goes to the movie three a week unless you got nothing better to do. But still, we would go once, you know, we'd, we'd go more than the price of the movie on a monthly basis. So therefore, it was worth it for us to subscribe. 
Now, that was all unique to business, and it became very popular, and it became something that everybody wanted to do as far as in business goes. Hey, a subscription service, something where people are locked into paying you unless they discontinue your service. And in many cases, they have to jump to another service, like phones. You know, I mean, you can't, nobody can do today without a phone, so they have to have a phone. They're either going to be on, uh, you know, AT&T or T-Mobile or whatever. They're going to have a phone. You buy the hardware or you even get the hardware on a subscription service with your service because they're kind of linked together. Computers did that for a while, by the way, where you would get a computer with an internet company like CompuServe. Most of you might not even remember that one where you got the computer for almost nothing if you subscribed to CompuServe for three years. Uh, like AOL was doing that and other companies. Now it's like, nah, nobody buys a computer linked to a company because they're not. You go get your subscription for internet access through Comcast or through AT&T, whoever. You buy the computer completely separately. The newest addition to that is healthcare. Now, in healthcare, and we're speaking broadly health and wellness, not just sickness here, your health spas were probably the first, and now the, 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 as far as the most regular of you would join a health spa. You didn't go and pay to go. I mean, they have some of those, but that's like almost extinct. You join a health spa. You get your monthly, your, your credit card or your bank account is tapped, and you show up and you exercise. You know, a health care plan. Now, food tried to do it, but they're not quite the same. You don't really subscribe to a food service. But what you do is you join the membership of a food place, uh, they all have rewards programs, so you get disc Kroger rewards, Whole Foods. Everybody's got a little program going on now, and it's kind of like a subscription. You're not really paying for it, but if you shop there, you get discounts, so you're kind of paying for it. You know. But as far as the medical services, that wasn't common. Uh, it didn't ar arrive until the drug companies realized that, ooh, the idea, and they don't call it subscription. You're not subscribing to a medication but the idea of taking a drug on a regular basis that you believe you're locked into is a subscription service. Now, chiropractors have jumped on the bandwagon recently uh, over the last decade, maybe two, with the idea of instead of having patients pay per visit um, at a certain point, they're on a subscription service. So you pay a monthly fee and you get unlimited care. You get so much care, whatever it happens to be. I, when I first opened my very first office in 1978, uh, that was unheard of. Nobody heard of that. That was, you all came in. Every time you came in, you paid the visit. Uh, and, you know, our fees were, rel I mean, our fees back then were $8 per visit. People would come in. Yeah, don't drool, but take the scale on that one. Uh, people would come in. They would get their adjustment, go up front and pay. Um, I took a short break from practice while I was raising children and traveling on the road speaking. And when I got back in, I noticed there was this thing running around where uh, patients weren't paying per visit. They were paying monthly. Oh, that sounded pretty cool. And it was actually working very well. People were used to it at that point because there were other subscription services and electronics, your TV, your phone, you know. So people were used to getting a monthly tap uh, and paying via their credit card monthly and having it automatically hit. Memberships to organizations were done like that. The health spas were done like that. So chiropractors got into that and started doing the uh, uh, monthly uh, subscription service type of deal, whether or not it was subscription or you just pay monthly and you're automatically in. Uh, 
So chiropractors have, have well moved into that. And the medical profession, not from a standpoint necessarily of their services, although the insurances do, that's what an HMO is. You pay a monthly fee and then you get to go to their doctors and pay a, a small or large at this point, or no, co-payment, and you're covered for whatever you need in that thing. But you're paying a monthly subscription service. That's what health insurance basically is. And that's been around longer than the chiropractors were doing the subscription services. But you weren't paying the medical professional. You were paying the insurance. And for the longest time, they were paying the medical professional. Well, insurance has worked out so well in healthcare, and they got so rich, they just started buying healthcare companies. And so now the insurance companies actually own, you know, Kaiser owns all the health centers that they have. And, you know, these other things you join and you pay and they own, you know, or they're greatly linked with whatever healthcare system, Wellstar and et cetera is out there. But the idea of drugs now becoming a regular thing, and it's a little more insidious because you don't know that you're doing it. It just is something that the drug companies are marketing. And some of them that are out there are really kind of interesting. I mean, some of them you would think, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Uh, that could be questionable. But let's take, for example, diabetes medication. Uh, most people will say, well, yeah, if you have diabetes, you have to take a drug for the rest of your life. Well, that is true in many instances, but probably not true in a lot. Because if indeed the person changed their lifestyle, their diet, their weight, exercise, did everything they did properly uh, at a certain point, especially if they did it early on, they probably would not, in many cases, would not need a diabetic medication. You know, a lot of people on diabetic medications, uh, their health overall is not good and they're not taking any steps to improve it or not taking the hard, and, and I'm not saying it's easy, they're not taking the hard steps to improve it because uh, it's easier just to take the drug. You know, I got it under control. I can't tell you how many times I get I got it under control, whatever it happens to be. Uh, that's the easy one. The ones that get a little more complex and are more varied uh, have been around for a little while, blood pressure. Now, blood pressure is an interesting scenario uh, that, you know, my blood pressure is elevated, therefore I take a blood pressure medication, and I can't think of how many people tell me, oh, I've got it under control. Well, could you not get it under control if you didn't take it and did everything else correctly? And, and we can even throw into that mix chiropractic because there's a number of studies out there showing that the upper cervical spine, the top of the neck, has an effect on blood pressure when it's subluxated, it affects blood pressure. When subluxation is corrected at the top of the neck, the blood pressure drops. There's lots of studies on that. I've seen it personally in a lot of cases where people don't need blood pressure medication anymore. But leaving that one aside, going to the one that you do yourself, the diet, the exercise, the things to relieve stress, uh, you know, these types of things have a huge effect on blood pressure. Yet I would probably venture a guess, and this is from personal experience of people in practice, that most people aren't doing any of those. They're just taking the drug to control the blood pressure. And at a certain point, like anything else in the human body, if you're doing something and your body is accepting something for a long time and doing something you should, your body is doing, having a drug do something your body can do, your body loses the ability. The example I like to use is that when you, someone breaks their arm and they put a cast on their arm, 
when they take their cast off, is the arm bigger or smaller? Well, it's weaker. The muscles are more atrophied because they haven't been using them. The old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. Astronauts, when they come up from outer space, their muscles are more atrophied because they're not using it, although they try to do exercise up there now. So that doesn't happen as much. But without gravity, you can't get everything. So the idea of, of in the case of taking a blood pressure medication, is that after a while, your body is going to lose the ability to control it on its own because you can't control it. Uh, you know, if you're not controlling it because you're using medication, your body loses that ability and then you won't be able to get off the medication. However, early on, I've seen a lot of patients who were doing the right thing and then uh, through proper changes in lifestyle, no longer needed the blood medication, you know, the, the blood pressure medication. Um, even if there's a lot of information out there, it's been around for a while, eyeglasses. You know, for years, I resisted having my eye, uh, reading glasses. I, I, didn't, I didn't need any kind of things until I was well into my 40s. And I was doing eye exercises. And the more I did that, the less I needed reading glasses. And then finally, I caved in and said, all right, I just don't have time. And I got reading glasses. Well, from that point forward, I always had to wear reading glasses to read most things. Um, you know, now I have been very aware of that and I have been doing certain reading exercise and eye exercises and I, I do wear a very low prescription contact lens and I have reading glasses for on top of that. But over the last decade or so, my eyes have not gotten any worse. In fact, they've gotten just slightly better. Uh, my prescriptions have never gotten worse. In fact, never changed. So there is some capability there. Now, that doesn't mean I should take all my glasses and my contacts off and then just work to get... No, you know what? It's It's been too long that I've been doing this. Had I been very hard on it, I probably could have at least lessened it to some degree. But, you know, glasses are not... You know, you're not putting anything into your system. You're just wearing something. But drugs, on the other hand, and how expensive they are... Uh, Think about how many people are on blood pressure medication. And I, and I know there's a lot of them that wouldn't have to be if they took the lifestyle changes. Cholesterol drugs, a real big one. I mean, how many people, instead of just changing how they eat, just take a cholesterol drug instead, you know? And then you see on TV, if you can't control your cholesterol, and the actors they're using are not in great shape. So therefore, they're showing you that rather than even try, just take our drug forever. You know, I mean, I see people coming in on a regular basis who are taking you know, five, six, seven, eight, or sometimes a dozen or more drugs every single day. And I know that that cycle doesn't have to be like that. And I know that if there had been some effort, or even if they were aware there was a possibility that that wasn't necessary. You see, unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, they go to the doctor and they say, doctors, you need to take this. Oh, okay. And they don't question it, they don't research, they don't look at how can I get my body to where I don't need to do those things. Allergy drugs, the same way. Oh, I'm taking an allergy drug because uh, I'm preventing some... Wait a minute. Your, body's un... your body, by the way, won't be capable of preventing that later on if, you, if the drug has to do it for you. The common one on television I see today is the skin issues. If you've got some flaking on your skin, take this forever. Don't look at the things you might be able to do yourselves to decrease that. Don't do any research on that, you know. 
and how many problems that people are developing are because they're taking regular drugs and then they wind up taking another drug because of that. And, you know, the cycle gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We can, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is if you approach most people and say, do you think you need to take that drug? I'm going to guess 80, 90% are going to say, yes, I do. I absolutely do. Okay. How come the rest of the world doesn't need to take that drug as much? How come the rest of the world, which is healthier than Americans, you know, all the industrialized world, doesn't take drugs on the... So the question of yes, we do is because someone convinced us, yes, we do. You know, I mean, look at the look at the television advertising. They basically go from the standpoint of if you've got this, take this forever. They're not even questioning, take this and you won't have to take it. You know, you, you won't have your problem anymore. You'll be cured. You won't have to take it. No, it's now it's like you have to take this forever to handle this issue and so you can live a normal life. And probably the, the most dangerous, the most insidious of this, the, the one that's the most recent, has seen the biggest increase, uh, is in antidepressants. You know, I mean, we could do a show on that. I could have experts on that and we could just talk about that. But let, let's just look for a second now. Uh, before the, this recording... I went online. Let me see what the current number is. And I, I was pretty astounded. 12.7% of the American population over the age of 12, right, took an antidepressant medication in the past month. Over 10% are on regular anti... 10% of our nation is on an anti... Over the age of 12... And there's a high number for those under because of all the you know the drugs they give kids, is on an antidepressant drug. Now I'm sorry. <laughs> Years ago, if you had an episode that caused some depression, if you didn't feel right, you exercised, you turned to family, you turned to your church, your faith. You know you worked your way through it. Today. We put chemicals into our system to try to make us function normally. And you know what happens? Like I mentioned to all the other drugs, if indeed you get on a chemical that makes you try to function normally, eventually you will not be able to function normally without that drug. And I'm going to imagine, because I've seen some studies, that, that basically none of these drugs are tested for the lifetime application they're pushing them for. They're all short term. Yet, do they do that? I mean, does anybody, I look at my patients and I look when I see an antidepressant drug on it, how long you been on that? It's years, you know? Or if somebody just started it months ago, how long did they say you have to keep taking that for? Well, no, I have the problem. I have to keep taking it. Not like I can take the drug and in three months I won't need to take it. Or I can take the drug and in, you know, a week I won't have to take it anymore. You know, like an antibiotic. You know, fortunately, antibiotics never jumped into that. Antibiotics, when you have an infection, take it. When the infection is gone, we stop taking the antibiotic. That's not what's happening with the antidepressant drugs. It's, oh, I'm sorry, you have this problem? Take it forever. And by the way, is there an actual clinical situation? Now, I'm not saying people who have serious mental illness. Let's not, let's not confuse that. The average person who's getting antidepressants, who says they have anxiety, who I'm depressed. These are not real clinical things. These are emotional states that you can work through in other ways. There's lots of science on that. And there is no scientific testing 
There's no blood test you can get. There's no kind of a, a testing, a real objective testing scenario where you can say this person has a depression. There are some serious mental illnesses, and I don't want to belittle that, and those people need help. But with all these antidepressants, has the rate of suicide decreased or increased? Well, guess what? It's increased. So more people now, be, and by the way, many more people are on these medications, and that's what's happening. They're, they're killing themselves. And the mass shootings are all, I think almost every mass shooter uh, that went into a school and started shooting up for no good reason was on an antidepressant, you know, or recently on an antidepressant and trying to come off of it. So, I mean, there's a huge focus here on the idea of, and it's very profitable. I mean, let's face it, if you're a drug company and you know people don't are feeling not so cool, and if I can come up with a drug to make them feel cool, it used to be called beer, you know, but if I can come up with a drug to make them feel cool, you know, then, uh, and, and it's given by a doctor, it's a prescription, therefore it must be okay. Well, you know what? Okay, alcohol's not given by a doctor. It makes you feel okay. But there's an issue if you become an alcoholic, you know? Uh, the, there's a difference between having a weekend beer or some alcohol with some friends on a social occasion and taking it every day because you want to feel normal. Well, that's what these types of uh, antidepressants are doing. In order for you to function normally, you have to take this the rest of your life. The whole concept of you are sick, you can never get better, so take these drugs forever is a subscription. You are being subscribed to sickness. If I can urge anything, it's that the idea that you don't have to do that. I was looking up some of the antidepressant uh, numbers 23% of women in their 40s and 50s take antidepressants. That's incredible. Women are more common, two and a half more times likely than men. All right. I, I, obviously, there's a difference in, in society. Well, let's correct that difference, not just drug women more. 14% of non-Hispanic white people take antidepressants compared to just 4% of non-Hispanic blacks and 3% of Mexican-Americans. So it's the white population that is taking this medication on a very high number compared to people of color. Less than a third of Americans who take a single antidepressant as opposed to two or more have seen mental health professionals in the past year. So that means a lot of people, once they start taking these, just keep taking them. They're not seeing a professional. It's not like it was. And, and even if they did, what is that professional going to say? You're telling them you feel depressed. Is there a test they run on that? Is there a blood test they can do to find out, yes, look at your blood work says you're depressed. No, it doesn't. That doesn't exist. There's no chemical thing going on that they find. Now, in some serious mental illnesses, there is. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the high, high percentage of people on those medications. And many medications, if you look at the television commercials, many medications now, are sold almost on a subscription basis. We are being sold our health, our sickness, basically, as a subscription service. You are sick, take this forever. You know, I mean, in my household, obviously, uh, you know, I'm not on any medications. I will turn 65 within a month, 
and I'm not taking any prescription medications whatsoever. No, over-the-counter medications, nothing. Doesn't mean I haven't had health issues. I've had musculoskeletal issues related to uh, hip degeneration. And in actuality, I have in my past had them replaced. Um, the bones just were deteriorating, some of it genetic, some of it lifestyle, uh, some of it was weightlifting. But that, that being aside, when I went in to the uh, doctors to have them do an evaluation on it, I'd been taking my own x-rays. I kind of knew what was going on here. But when I went to an orthopedist and did the evaluation, and nurses do a little workup on you, and they take your blood and stuff like that, and they, they ask the question, what medications are you taking? And at that point, I said, none. And they looked at me like, what, what do you mean none? You know, you were over 60. How many medications are you taking? I'm not taking any. Oh. And what I found out from them was I was the first person any of them had ever dealt with who was scheduled to have a hip surgery who was not on medication. They'd never seen one before that wasn't on, in their case, a pain medication. What are you doing for the pain? Well, I get chiropractic care and I focus on, you know, my mind on not reacting to the pain as much. You know, <laughs> you know and, and it is possible to do. I did it for the longest time until finally I had no choice but to go in and get the hit. And I didn't take medication until that point. And then, you know, I was even arguing with my orthopedic surgeon about taking medication after the hip uh, surgery. And I said, look, I've had a lot of pain before. What's the difference? And he looked at me square in the eye and he says, wound pain is different. He was correct. <laughs> okay. For the only time in my life, about a week, I did take uh, and not all of it. I mean, I didn't do the, they wanted to give me opiates. I was like, nah, we ain't going there. Um, I strictly, uh, some of the Tylenol stuff they gave me and some of the other mild stuff for a week. And then I was done with it. Actually, after the second hip, just four days. Because once I, once I felt I wasn't in agony and I could function fine. And I really was never that much agony anyway. But that being aside, I wasn't into getting on a subscription of you have to take something for the rest of your life. We all know that, like, at this point, two-thirds of the American population is on a prescription medication. Uh, and that gets older as you get older. I mean, that number gets higher as you get older. Like, in my age group, it's like 80-85% of the population is on a subscription medication. And I call them subscription medications because that's basically what it is. You get a prescription, which is a subscription, to have to take medication forever. And to even bolster this, because granted, it's very expensive and people are shelling out money for it. They even now get drug coverage through the government, through your insurance program so that, you know, hey, great, I can get subscribed to this medication and not even have to pay for the whole thing myself. So if we want to rant today, what my rant basically about today, because I don't want to tell people, look, first of all, if you're listening to this and you're on a medication, don't go throwing out your medications. I'm not the one who gave them to you. I'm not the one who can get you off of them, right? I can help you get, to, in my case, what I do as a chiropractor is help people get to the position where they don't need them, but they still have to go back to the individual who gave them and speak to them about the necessity. What I have noticed over the years is when a patient is doing better and they go back to their uh, MD or whoever gave them the drug and they say, look, I am feeling really good, this, that, and the other thing. Do I really need to be taking this? You'd be surprised how many say, no, nah, let's cut you off of that. Now, you know, certain types of chemical situations, yeah, they got to be careful about how that's done, or you can't just come off of it that easily. But I'm going to guess in a lot of the antidepressant medications, if you say, look, I'm feeling great, and I really don't think they're going to try to take you off of it because they know you shouldn't be on this as long as you are. 
but most people argue about I have to have it. I just don't feel right, you know. Uh, but in a lot of cases, if you can get your body functioning better to where a blood pressure medication is not necessary, or if it's early enough, a diabetic medication is not necessary, or a cholesterol. I mean, isn't that better than having to put a chemical in your body, a subscription basically, for the rest of your life? Unfortunately, the drug companies on television and everywhere else are selling it that way because it's very profitable. These are some of the largest companies in the world. And the idea of hooking you into a subscription like Comcast or somebody or, or your phone company, your, your mobile phone company, is a much more profitable way for them to do business. So they want to sell you drugs that don't necessarily, are, or, or they're not going to tell you because they don't, cure you, you know. The idea of a cure is not even there. It's manage this forever. I'm going to argue and rant about the point that that's not a necessity, that you can actually get out from under that. It's not going to be easy. The longer you're on a prescription medication of some kind, the harder it is. But if you take the steps necessary for yourself through proper exercise, proper diet, uh, stress reduction, your faith, whatever it happens to be, uh, I think proper nerve supply, in my opinion, through chiropractic. But if you do the steps necessary to improve your health, you will find that you don't need as many medications. And you will find that the people who are giving them to you will agree with that and agree with you having less of them. And you can decrease it and not have to be on them. I'm not telling people to run out and stop throwing your medications. I think that's a little bit on the dangerous side. It's probably a lot on the dangerous side, depending on what you're taking. But if you look at our society versus others, they don't take as many and they're healthier. What are they doing that we're not? So that's my rant for today. Subscription sickness. I want to get people not to think that they have no choice, not to think that they're sick and they don't have a choice about the matter. Health is a choice. You can always make choices, and the choice doesn't have to be drugs forever, even though they're being marketed and sold that way. You can, if you work for it, and it, many times it's not necessarily easy, you can work to be healthier. That's my rant for today, and thank you for listening. You have been listening to Health Rants. My name is Dr. Bob Braille, and I've been your host. Subscribe to this podcast and join us for future rants on a large variety of subjects related to health and health care. Thank you for listening to Health Rants. Health Rants is sponsored by Braille Chiropractic. Find out more and listen to previous episodes on our website, www.braillechiropractic.com. That's B-R-A-I-L-E chiropractic.com. The opinions on this podcast are meant to encourage discussion on healthcare issues and are not meant as specific medical or healthcare advice. You should only seek health advice from your healthcare professionals. This has been Health Rant.